If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right, we circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, friend. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 142 of Classic Conversations. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dewaskin. Great to have you back for another classic episode of Classic Conversations. That practically writes itself, doesn't it? It does. I have an amazing guest for you today. I cannot wait to share with you my conversation with the legendary Stuart Pankin. That's right. Earl Sinclair from Dinosaurs. Bob Charles from HBO's award-winning series, Not Necessarily the News. Loved him and curb your enthusiasm. Honey, we shrunk ourselves. And so much more. Oh my goodness. An amazing conversation with Stuart Pankin is coming up in just a few minutes. All right, this is the part of the show where I put a little FOMO into your head. That's fear of missing out, where I recap a couple of the past episodes. Last Thursday, David Fishoff was my guest. David created the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, cool movie called Rock Camp, the movie, which showcases that fantasy experience is out. You can get that. But where David touched my life the most was he brought the monkeys back together for their 20th anniversary concert, which led them to the 30th, 40th, 50th, good times, uh, everything. I, I give him full credit. He wasn't part of all the rest, but he got that ball rolling. So love him for that, the monkeys. And last week, also Jay Kogan, episode 140, one of the original OGs on The Simpsons, Emmy Award winner for Frasier. That conversation is a laugh riot and tons of fun. So check those out. If you're a little behind, don't worry. You can always catch up. Once the podcasts are released, they are there forever. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. You know what else is beautiful? I'll tell you. Classic Conversations is charting in the film interviews category on Apple in the United States, Canada, Mexico, Netherlands, India, and Yemen. We were number one in Yemen, and now we're number two. I don't know what happened. Some of the folks in Yemen maybe lost faith. I don't know. So I'm reaching out to all of you from Yemen. Please tune back in. Get me back to number one in Yemen. And everyone else in the United States, step it up a bit, would you? Need to get into the top 10 of TV film categories. If you're listening, go follow me on Apple. Download me on Apple Podcasts. If you have iOS device, give me a five stars. Help me reach maximum awesomeness. I'll tell you what else is awesome. I mentioned Our Detroit way back. My podcast was up for best podcast in Detroit. I actually came in second place. Second place, Drew and Mike came in. Oh, hang on a second. How do people keep getting this number? Hello? Hi, Jeff. Oh, my God. Hi, Summer Moore. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? Oh, it's so great. Everyone, it's Summer Moore from episode 130, star, not director of Pandemic Pillow Talk. <laughs> Glad you remember. <laughs> not director, not ever. Yes. <laughs> I can dream. What's going on? 
<laughs> well, we have some very exciting news. I love exciting news. Do tell. Well, it is our show, Pandemic Pillow Talk, is being considered for an Emmy nomination. It's on the ballot, and the voting's on Monday night. Ends on Monday Monday night. They're voting right now, but it's up for a possibility of a nomination. That's incredible. I don't think I can vote, but in my heart, I'm voting. <laughs> Me too. In my heart, I'm, I've voted like a million times, but. <laughs> so do you find out like, what is it? Mid-July where they announced the Emmys? Is that when you would find out? That's a great question. I, I haven't gotten past Monday. <laughs> so I know it's a while, which is kind of surprising to me because I would think it's like, we know, you know, they count the ballots and, but no, it's a while. I mean, it's for outstanding short form comedy series, which is like one of the categories that you can get indie stuff into. But of course, you're competing against the studio network stuff, too. So that's where you're at a little bit of a disadvantage or a lot, I should say. Well, you got Eric Roberts, though. We do. So. We have Eric Roberts, but so do other projects. <laughs> Everyone's got everyone this year has Eric Roberts in there. He's in quite a few. <laughs> He's like, and uh, the nominees are Eric Roberts, Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts. <laughs> That's so exciting. I, uh, I'm going to, I'm crossing my fingers for you and whatever else I can cross. I'll do that as well. It's uh, always great to hear awesome things happening for awesome people. You deserve the best summer. Oh, thank you. It's the first time this has like ever been the E word has ever been in my mouth. I mean, like from this perspective, like of all the projects, I just never, we basically got some feedback that was like, I think you really got a good shot of people who were in the television Academy. So it was like, really? Like, Really? We were really surprised, but yeah, we're really excited. It's been a lot of hard work to get the word out, though, so. All right. Well, Pandemic Pillow Talk, tell everyone the website again. PandemicPillowTalk.com, or you can watch us on YouTube at YouTube.com forward slash Pandemic Pillow Talk. Boom. Everyone do it. You got homework, everyone. Be you got you want everyone listening, you want to be like cool, go. So when the Emmy nominations come out, go, Oh yeah, I already saw that. That's cool. That's awesome. That's right. Be cool. Be cool. Well, Summer, thank you so much for calling in and letting me know and letting us all know. We're all rooting for you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So 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 much. We all do. Woo! 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 How about that? Summer Moore up for an Emmy for Pandemic Pillow Talk. Blanca Blanco called in last episode. Blanca got an Emmy FYC for her role in Tale of Tales on Tubi. I read Eric Peterson from Kevin Can F Himself, who's also been a guest on the show, is up for a potential Emmy. It's like everyone who goes on the show ends up getting a potential Emmy nomination. I You can write that off as coincidence, or you can say the power of classic conversations. Boom. There we go. Exciting news for all of them. Congratulations to all. I do want to take a quick second and thank everyone for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Classic Conversations. And that's how we keep the lights on. I do want to do a quick shout out and thank you to my friend Brian Green, host of the Commercial Break Podcast with his co-host Chrissy. If you love this podcast, you're going to love the commercial break. They have new episodes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can find them on the web, tcbpodcast.com, or of course, wherever podcasts are found, Apple, Spotify, Google, all the usual suspects. Check out the commercial break podcast. You know, after you listen to this one, of course, you know, they knew I was going to say that part. All good. They're awesome. Check them out. 
All right. Well, without further ado, Stuart Pankin is coming up right now. Loved him in Fatal Attraction. Not necessarily the news, dinosaurs, honey, we shrunk ourselves, curb your enthusiasm. The list goes on and on. But enough intro. Enjoy. All right, everyone. I want to welcome to the show, beloved actor, star of stage and both small and big screen. You loved him in Not Necessarily the News. Dinosaurs, Fatal Traction, and a million other things. Welcome to the show, Stuart Pankin. Hey! Hi, Stuart. Yay! Nice to be here. Good to have you. It's a joy to speak with you. I, I'm i a big fan of not necessarily the news. Me too. I know, I know. You were awesome in it. It was funny because I two of the original writers on the show, Mike Reese and Al Jean. Yeah, whatever happened to them? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They uh, They faded into obscurity. <laughs> but it was funny because they were both on they were both on the podcast and I would bring up not necessarily the news and they I think I don't remember if it was one or both they both had the same reaction of like are you just saying that because you read it I'm like no I love that show Wait a minute, those guys didn't love not the news didn't like working on it maybe they didn't think realize how old I was or something like that and that I had actually really seen it <laughs> You're talking about a multi-award winning show. I know. it. You know, you, you got to love it. They, they they had to do it. You know, I know they did stuff like, you know, the Simpsons and all that other little, you know, piddly stuff, but not the news. That's that's the apex, baby. That's the jewel in the crown. The funniest shows HBO has ever produced. I think they just were calling me out from just reading off of IMDb or something like that. <laughs> they were just testing me. But it was your name that I said, no, no, Stuart Pankin. I'm <laughs> a big fan. And then what did they say to that? Uh, they, I think I just, once they kind of realized I was real dealing them, that I think it all went smooth from there. But Oh, good, good, good. They're very talented. Amazing set of writers. Conan was in that writing group as yes, well. Yes, he was for a while. Wrote some great jokes. Very cool, very cool. All right, so, well, but, but before, not necessarily the news, what led you to that? Like, what? where was little Stuart Pankin, like, at home growing up? As like, uh, you know, pre-Bermit, so post-Bermit, like what, it, what, where was it that you decided acting and, and theater and all that was for you? This is a pretty open-ended question. You got a few hours? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the thing is, when I was a kid, I always enjoyed dancing around and making funny stuff with my family at dinners and stuff, hamming it up, as we used to say. When I got to college, I was going to be a psychology major. And then, but something, as I always say, when I took that long walk across the dark, cold campus to go to the audition for the first play as a freshman, I knew I was hooked. I knew I wanted to be an actor. Dave Brubaker, who was my director, my teacher, and my became my dear friend until he died, was so inspiring. And you know you wanted to work with him. So I did every possible theatrical thing I could in college. And that's what did it to me. I mean, and then I... I after college, I applied and got into Columbia Graduate School and studied more there. And then, uh, you know, just got out in the world and tried to get work. But that's what happened. I mean, it was college really kicked me off to be an actor. It, 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 at a certain point when you're deciding to be an actor, do you decide, oh, I'm going stage or I'm going for TV or movies? Like, well, is no, no, no. No. Uh, in, in the East, when I was at Columbia, it was all stage. I mean, it was... You know, I worked for a year at Lincoln Center. I worked for two summers at the Shakespeare Festival. You know, did some off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway things. Little black box theaters, as we call them, you know, down in the village. Plays I don't, I remember doing, but don't remember anything about. I mean, you did theater. That's what you love. People in New York used to show up at auditions for plays 
not knowing what the play was, you read for it. And then when you got to, then you got the job and you got there, you finally read the script and you said, you know, you didn't care. You just wanted the job. Television, I never did any film work of any. I was an extra in a, in a movie called Next Stop Greenwich Village, which was a wonderful movie. That's an interesting story, too. I mean, I was so curious. I used to sneak down from the extra holding room to the set to see what was going on, you know, and stand behind the camera. I've never seen it. I've never seen a movie set before. I never saw walls move, you know, and lights and, 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 the, and things in the background with chimneys that actually smoke, but you're on a set. And when it was fascinating, it was just fascinating. And they rewarded me by giving me a line, you know, in the movie. So they bumped me up from, you know, an extra to a day player one day. But I never did anything, you know, in film to speak of in, uh, in New York. In fact, the, the thing that goes through my mind is when you're in New York, you always say, how do I get to California? How do I get to Hollywood? How do I get to television movies? And then when you're in television movies, you say, how do I get back to New York? How do I get back to the theater? How can I do plays? Because plays, you know, I mean, I worked, my, my wife helped form a, a summer theater in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, connected with her college. And uh, it eventually turned into a really good uh, equity company. And I worked there for years with her and a bunch of great actors. So in the East, the theater was the thing to do. Getting out to California, if you're interested, and I'm sure you are because you're just making me get up in the morning to talk to you. Uh, I got, I did a show called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. It was the first New York production of that play that's gone on to be, you know, fairly successful. Agents saw me in that. And that's how I got an audition for and got the job for the San Pedro Beach Bums in California, which was Aaron Spelling's first and last attempt at hour-long comedy. And that's what got me out here. You know, we kept our apartment in New York for years thinking we'd go back. We do this California stuff. What the heck? I stayed and I just started to look for work and then got pretty good at it. Very cool. You created some of the roles, Ruben and Queen Victoria. Is that right? Ruben and Queen Victoria. Yes. Uh, Joseph the Amazing Technique about the, about the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And, and Reuben was the oldest brother, and I played him. And also, there was a little bit where Queen Victoria, you know, shows up in the audience dressed in her full regalia, going, Oh, Joseph, you know, and all this silly stuff. So, yes, I did create that in, in, in this country. I mean, they did it in England, but in, in America, yeah, you're looking at the creator of Queen Victoria. <laughs> I saw that in, um, in Detroit. You saw Joseph? Yeah, with Donny Osmond. Oh, no, that was not my production. No, no, not your production. I mean, but I've seen the play. I've seen the play. I'm just saying. Like, yeah, I, I think it's great. <laughs> I, did, I missed your production. <laughs> oh, what the hell? Where were you? Likely because I may not in have been born. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you could have done it in vitro. <laughs> I regret to inform I will not be in attendance. <laughs> um, so do you, there's a th certain thrill, right? I mean, I do stand-up comedy, so but there's a certain thrill to doing stage, I would imagine, versus TV or movies because the immediate reaction. I mean, do you still crave that? Do you love that? Would you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's my absolute first love. And the difference in stage and film, for the most part, I mean, is night and day, the yin and yang, the alpha and the omega, I'll come up with some more later. Yeah, the immediate reaction, the, the, the ability on stage to, to rehearse, something's being delivered, don't worry about it. It's just, I'm a drug dealer and that's one of my mules, so don't worry about that. Uh, but the, uh, the, the option in a play to rehearse and change, and even as you're performing, realize stuff and change every night is extremely exciting. I mean, there's a, there's a story of Zoe Caldwell who won a Tony Award for a play, I forget, she came to Columbia to talk. She won a Tony Award, and the last night of the last production, 
She walked off stage and said to the stage manager, I finally figured out how to play that scene. So that's the beauty of the, the theater and film and television. Yeah, You know, if you're in a big budget movie, you probably get uh, some rehearsal time. I mean, I did a movie called Scavenger Hunt and we did that in Boston and, and we, we, we were there a week doing some stuff. And there are, you know, there are big budget movies that will rehearse a month. But usually, you know, character actors and uh, et cetera, you, you come in as a guest spot and, you know, if they talk to you, you're lucky and you do your job, you go home. You know, even on a movie, if you're there, if you're lucky enough to be there for a long period of time, you don't get a lot of rehearsal. You get to make a lot of friends, but you don't get a lot of rehearsal. And you just got to come in with the, with the goods. You know, you have to, there's just too many good actors out there. So when you audition for stuff, you got to be confident that you got it. And then you can get the job. You walk into that room knowing I'm here to solve your problem. That's what I want to do. I want to make you happy because you know you're not going to get a lot of, they're, they're, they're going to, they have a lot of choices and they're going to pick the guy that strikes them right away. Yeah. That's the big difference between theater and film for me. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I love like being on stage when I'm doing stand-up sure, comedy. Of course you do. And it's and that's it, hard what you do. And it's like, well, it's, yeah, it's, but it's, but it's the same kind of idea where you do the same joke so many times and you can keep refining it. It's the same. I love that story. Like, I finally figured it out. It's like, yeah. sometimes that's how it you was, figure it out. You're like, you're, you, 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 yeah. yeah. All right. So you do the San Pedro bums and they I decide, do. well, all right, we're going to pick that up, but we're going to add beach to it. <laughs> San that's, Pedro. Right. that's exactly right. The bums was the, was the pilot. And we were actually called back to reshoot it. Aaron Spelling actually directed the reshoots of that show because he really wanted it to go. And there was a lot of reasons that it didn't go, which are, you know, complicated. It had to do with timing and football and the Grunion were running up in San Francisco. I mean, there's a lot of things. Plus the fact that it might not have been the greatest show ever. But yeah, I did that. I haven't seen it, but I did. I found what I could on YouTube. I watched like, there was like a 10 minutes of it. Really? Wow. Yeah, it was like the opening and then like uh, you guys were just securing your boat. You were just paying off a loan for a boat, yeah. which I assume is is where it goes. So you mentioned like you, you came in and out of many different shows. It was like a, a Barney Miller, BJ and the Bear, you know, like the Brady Girls Get Married. When when you like go in and out of these, like which ones did you feel? Are there any of them where you kind of clicked and bonded and you're like, oh, this is nice. And, you know, they probably remember me now. Well, the Brady Girls <laughs> was not one of them. Although Lloyd Schwartz, who is uh, who directed that, who got me the job, he did a movie later called One Dozen, which was the most fun I've ever had in a movie set. Nobody's ever seen the movie. Nobody's ever heard of the movie. It was the most fun I've ever had on a set because people were great. So that was an advantage of that. But as far as clicking and bonding and remembering, well, not necessarily the news. We're, we're friends to this day. That was, what, 30 more years But that ago. was your show. That was your show, though. I mean, that was, yeah, that, that was a show. Yeah, but Fatal Attraction, I mean, that was a great show to do. San Pedro Beach Bumps was my first filming thing. It was it was magic. Every every moment was new. You know, looking at a camera, that's new. Looking at a set, that's new. Looking at action, cut. What? That's all, that's, you know, it was all exciting, depending on, I mean, it only lasted 10 shows, but it was my introduction to, to movies, and it was all wondrous. It was just, it was great. Which of the shows that you guested on, did they like, you're like, I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> you know something? That's an interesting question. None of them. None of There's them. no show that I've ever done. There were some actors that I didn't mind, you know, not working with again, but there was no show I ever did that I said, oh, geez, I want this to be over with. I want this to be over with. I mean, there were a lot of mediocre experiences. Like I said, as a guest part, you go on and uh, you're, you're invisible. I mean, they're going to they're gonna cater to the stars, which they should. Like Hooperman, I did a couple of Hoopermans and, uh, 
you know, and became good friends with John Ritter uh, because of those shows. We also shared a school, so I, I knew him there. But that was a, that was a, a terrific experience. And then they, speaking of John, they did a show called Three's a Crowd, as opposed to Three's Company. It was a sequel. I don't know how long it lasted, but I was going to be, did a guest spot on that, loved it, and I was going to be a regular on that show, but the show was canceled. So I didn't get a chance to do that. Same thing with the thing. Sam Kinison had a sitcom years ago, and I was going to be a regular on that after being a guest, and he died. So that didn't happen. There are memorable things in the sitcom guest spot world. And then if when you get to do a pilot or you get to do a, not a, yeah, a pilot, they, they sometimes go, they sometimes don't. And you're in recurring parts, which which are nice, did a bunch of those. I, I don't want to tell you, uh, Jeff, they're all no, very that's good. positive experience. That's good to hear. I was just, I was just curious. From, from what you said, I, I couldn't tell if uh, some are better than others or just, you know, experiences. Well, some are better than others. Some are better than others. Yeah, I mean, because it's got to be weird. I, I talk about this with, with a lot of folks is like where they, you go in, like in, I talked to, uh, Eric Kramer, he goes into Cheers. <laughs> you know, he's like one of, it's a pretty established show, you know, or somebody, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim Piddick on Friends. And, uh, you know, so it's like, it's interesting when you step into something that is pretty iconic and all the people are established and you're just kind of in and out. Right. I have a couple of questions. I, I do want to give all due to not necessarily the news and dinosaurs, but a few other things of note just to cover before. Sure. The Xenon films, but specifically yeah. the first one, Xenon Girl of the 21st Century. I believe yes. that's the one that Kenny Johnson directed. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I had Kenny on the show. We did not talk about Xenon. How was it working with, especially in like a kind of a sci-fi type thing, like someone who is so iconic? It's just, uh, I love that guy. You Ken? Kenny, yeah, yeah. We did, uh, uh, to give a brief background, we did three of them. We did the first one in Vancouver with Ken, second one in New Zealand with, I think, Manny Kodo did the second one, who was now a big producer. And the third one we did in South Africa, and I don't remember the director. So, but yeah, working in working in that first Xenon you know, movie was uh, was swell. You know, some yeah, it's all swell. You understand when an actor gets it, it's all right, swell. Right. Now, the only problem was that those first Xenon you know, movies were buyouts, which, if you don't know what that is, is uh, they give you a salary, they give you a, a money, and that's no residuals. And the last one, it, it was under SAG after, and they uh, and we got residuals. But the first one, it was I don't remember a lot about. It. I remember the hotel. I remember the set. You know, I remember driving around with Ken, you know, looking at stuff. And that was it. But it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And then you worked with Raven Simone. You you end up, you did some That's So Ravens. And the, the one thing that I thought was funny, because I watched just a little bit of it, because I, I just wanted to get a feel for it. President Chelsea Clinton <laughs> was in the beginning of the Xenon, the president of the United States. Oh, the president is Chelsea, is Chelsea Clinton? Is Chelsea Clinton. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I thought that was that's funny. funny. That, that I don't remember. All right. Well, I bet. All right. This one, I bet you do have very fond memories of. Let's talk about Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was, I went in, I auditioned for it. I got it. And it was, it's a, it's a dream job for an actor because you don't have to memorize lines. And if you have any kind of improv chops, then, then you're very comfortable. They're very protective on that show. They don't let you see even the storyline. You know, you ask an AD or the, you know, what's this, what's it about? What am I going to use this? They'll tell you on the set. I mean, it was that kind of stuff. And you get on the set with uh, with Larry, and uh, and they sort of tell you what needs to be said. You know, they know you know who you are, but it needs to you know, and you know that you got to get from point A to point B, and uh, and then you just go with it. And if you say something wrong, they'll say cut. No, you got to get the you got to get the information that the the camel died in the desert. Okay, so Larry, the camel died in the desert, and then we all went to Cairo. No cut. You can't say Cairo because blah, blah. you know, and that's the way that show went. I mean, it was all improvised and led by the director and led by Larry as to what you had to say and what needed to be said. 
It was great. It was it was, it was fun. I, I did. I did. I don't know if I did it at the same time, but I ended up in two episodes, which was a, and the ski lift, as I recall, was one of the one of the more popular ones. A, a, a girl, Iris Bear, I think she played my daughter. Very talented actress, and uh, and the ski lift was great. And then I think I did the Chinese bookie, and I had a scene. Korean. Korean bookie, thank you. I, I don't want to culturally uh, appropriate anything incorrectly. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was a very interesting, different for an actor. It's a, it's a totally that kind of uh, deal is a, is a different experience. I mean, I remember when I said Larry was talking to a bunch of people. Jeff Garden was there, and Larry said to Jeff, who was very quiet, he said, "Jeff, jump in anytime you want to." And he said, "No, no, this is all sweet. This is all sugar. I'm just sitting here listening." I mean, it's that kind of a set. You know, it was great. It was a terrific experience, different and worthwhile. Yeah, I, re- I was kind of rewatching. I, I like to rewatch stuff just because you, you got the memories and then just kind of fill them in. But you were, uh, you played an Orthodox Jew who is the head of the Kidney Consortium. Kidney Consortium. Everybody thinks I played a rabbi, but I did not. No, Orthodox Jew. And then Larry pretends to be very Orthodox to kind of get on your good side to get a kidney for Richard Lewis. That's exactly right. That's exactly, and I eventually gave it to him. I think. I think I he wore me down. He brought me to a ski lodge and and sweet talked me and wore me down. Oh no, it didn't work out because it, in typical, oh, no. well, in typical curb fashion, you gave it to him. But yeah. then your daughter and him, the person who played your daughter and him, were stuck on a ski lift. Sunset was happening. Oh right. She had to jump off the. She ski- jumped off the ski lift <laughs> because she didn't want to be alone with a man after dark. Yes. And then that's what the Korean bookie was. He came to say, what the hell's going on? And I said, you know, I'll use, I'm going to do what I want with the money that you gave me. And uh, I don't have to die. I don't owe you any. Yeah, I remember that. It was great. So it's funny. Like you said, though, the ski lift voted by Variety. And this was done around the time there was about 100 episodes. The number four best Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Wow, that's great to know. That's great to know. I want to know what the first three are because then I'm going to deal with those. (laughs) I wish I had written it down. Another ranking put you in the top 15, that particular episode. So it definitely is considered one of the most favorite episodes. That's great. It's good to hear. Thanks. So good for you. And Larry trying to speak Hebrew. Were you really speaking Hebrew or were you both faking it? Uh, No comment. Because Larry pretending to speak Hebrew when you would speak Hebrew to him was one of the funniest. I things. spoke a few a few words, uh, but uh, a lot of it was not real. No comment. <laughs> or as we say in Yiddish, don't get all mashugna on me. All right. Oh, I saw you were on For Your Love. I had Didi Pfeiffer on the show. I love that sitcom uh, when yeah, it was on. She's, she's great. Yeah, I had a crush on. Yeah, her. For Your Love was was a I. I I turned out to be a recurring character and those guys were great. I mean, did he, and James Lazure, James Lazure and I became uh, friends after that. We used to hang out occasionally. No, that was great. I mean, because it became recurring, you know, that's, that's an actor's dream. You do a guest spot and all of a sudden they come back. I say, just, you know, clear the path, sweep the leaves. I'm there. Okay. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about, let's talk about not necessarily the news. How about that? Okay. Not necessarily the news ran on HBO 1982 to 1990. I think you were you were with it maybe not the last year, but otherwise the whole 88, time. 88, 82, 3, 82, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 82 to 88 was our cast, was our guys. This is based on a BBC show, as many shows are. Yeah. Not the 9 o'clock news with Rowan Atkinson and Pamela Was Stevenson. it Rowan Atkinson? Interesting. I didn't know that. I know. Well, hey, good thing you're here. I guess. <laughs> it's a very good thing I'm here or I'd be dead. 
<laughs> Filling you in, all the trivia. That's my All right, so not necessarily the news, sketch comedy interspersed with commercial parodies, all that kind of good stuff. How did they pitch you on this? This was like the very beginning of HBO doing their own original well, material, right? To go, to go back, at the time, cable, general cable was about, you should pardon the expression, 29% penetration in the country. And pay cable, Showtime, HBO, whatever entities were uh, forming and growing at the time, was less. So that's that background. Now, how it happened for me, if you're interested, just stop me if you're not. I am. I auditioned for, strangely enough, the San Pedro Beach Box. In that audition was a guy named Michael Jacobs, who is who became a very successful producer-writer. He remembered me when he was doing a show called No Soap Brady, which lasted five shows. And he asked me to do that. And I did. On that show was a writer named Ron Richards, who was working for Not who became a writer of Not Necessarily the News. I ran into him. Might have been luck. Maybe they would have pursued me. I don't know. I ran into him at a screening and he said, you want to do a, a cable show, Not Necessarily the News? I said, what's cable? You know, I said, Not Necessarily the News? What's that? You know, I, I said, yeah, I'll, like every actor, I'll, I'll read for anything. So I auditioned and I got it. And in the beginning, it was guerrilla television. I mean, our first dressing room was the men's room at the Shell Station in Simi Valley. And they asked us to buy gas from the Shell Station so we could stay in the men's room to, where the makeup stuff was, was set up. But the girls, you know, we Nancy Severinsen was our location manager, Doc Severinsen's daughter, great lady, great man. I guess they didn't want to pay for, for I guess it costs to pay for permits to shoot. So she would steal locations. And the girls, we were in the mountains and the girls were changing clothes behind open doors, you know, and, and be, behind rocks and stuff. And it was it was real. I mean, I remember being called 5.30 in the morning, quitting at 12, being called 5.30 the next morning. Uh, and I said to the producer, I can't do this. I'm, I'm going to die. So things got a little better. Then we, then we got a, a, some sort of a Winnebago thing. And then the show became popular and things started to become, it wasn't like, oh, I'm doing I'm necessarily What's that? Oh, never mind. It's just a little bit. To the point where it became, you know, extremely popular in the, in the, in the cable world. And it was life-changing and career-changing for me to do that show. So I'm, I got a number of good things to say about that. And we're still, you know, not to, we're still friends. What actors are left? The great Danny Breen passed away a while ago. But Mitch Lawrence, Danny, uh, Annie Bloom, we're still, you know, good friends. That's awesome. Oh, it's, it was funny as I was kind of looking at it. I was like, oh, Mitch Lawrence. I loved him and Eddie and the Cruisers. And then I go to look and I'm like, wait a minute, he wasn't in that movie. I realize he has That's a twin. twin. He has an identical <laughs> twin brother. <laughs> yeah, identical twin. They're both great guys. Mitchie, Mitchie is, uh, is, is a spectacular guy. I know Mitch better than I know. I work with Matt. Uh, for a little bit, but uh, Mitch, you know, he's one of my favorite human beings. He's a great guy. Rich Hall, what was your relate? Rich Hall, why Rich Hall was the only one in the cast that played himself? Yeah, yeah, we didn't. Uh, Rich Hall could have stayed by himself. You know, he did his own thing, wrote his own material, he performed his own material. So we didn't really. I mean, we we obviously saw each other and bumped into each other in the hall. But I don't think I ever did a scene with Rich. I don't think any of the cast that I can remember, but, you know, it was six years, so who knows, did a scene of any length or importance with Rich. He was basically his own man. Ron Richards, uh, from what I understand, actually created Snicklets, and then Rich took it and ran with it and became the, the Snicklets guy, and that's what made him so popular. But yeah, Rich was uh, he's a funny guy, but I think he's in England now, but he's uh, we, we never really, nobody really hung out with him. I think he had leprosy. So how did you guys feel when he went to Saturday Night Live and then came back? You know, some I'm, I'm, I don't know that. I didn't realize that he went to Saturday Night Live and then came back. I didn't, I didn't have any knowledge of it. Okay. Came back with our shows, 82 to 88. Yeah, he was, uh, he was in 84. He did a season on Saturday Night Live and then no he memory. came back and then 
eventually came back full time. No memory of that. No memory. That's how well. That's how well we cut along. So it sounds. It sounds like the whole cast was pretty tight, and then there was Rich Hall. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. I mean, I think it was his choice. I mean, he maybe he said to them, "I'm not a sketch sketch guy. I'll do my own sketches." And he did. He did a few sketches, but mostly he sat and talked uh, about Sniglets and about. He came up with a character you know better than I do as a radio guy. Um, that's the end of the story. That's the story. You know, he did that guy. I don't know who it is. The but real yeah, one. The real there. one's Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. He did Paul Harvey. That's thank you. You're very bright. <laughs> yeah, he did that, but he stayed by himself. I mean, you know, he, there's not much more to say about that. I mean, we never slept together, so it, it became a, a totally platonic relationship. Interesting and not surprising, but uh, definitely interesting. So, so was it was it irritating then that Sniglets was like such a popular? thing to explode from the show because that was his and he was like not really kind of and he was making money from it books no, mugs, back it, it, yeah <laughs> it wasn't I, I don't think it was irritating you know it might have slid it through our brains that oh geez it'd be nice if we could cash it on some of that but no i don't think so i mean i i hope we shared the money with ron richards because i think ron was the guy who created the idea of sniglets so i hope that ron got some some benefit out of that but the rest of us you know we I didn't share any money from him for the for the work that I got because of my necessarily of the news. So he didn't have to share anything with me. So just to kind of put it in perspective, in 1982, when the show debuted, according to the mm-hmm. information I found, there were 10 million subscribers to HBO. 10 and then, million. And then today, there's somewhere between 73 and 80 million. Wow. So, but 10 million is a lot. Million is more than I thought. That's interesting. It's more than I thought. Well, yeah, source internet. So, <laughs> oh, well, you got to believe source internet. Yeah, you got to believe SI, as we call it. So, it's uh, here's a couple of tidbits. Uh, the show is considered an inspiration and predecessor to future news satirical programs, The Daily Show, The Colbert Report, and Last Week Tonight, among others. Yeah, people say that a lot. And that's great. That's great. You walked so they could run. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I always was disappointed that Conan. When he had a show, didn't have a, a, a not necessarily a news reunion to bring, like, bring us all onto a show and to talk to him. Have you guys ever gotten together? Conan? No, no. Have you any the cast? I know you guys are said are friends. Is any like Jimmy Kimmel? Anyone like like anyone ever brought you guys together? Just as no, no. The only thing we got together with. I mean, people always say, "Are you going to do a reunion show?" You know, no. And there's a lot of reasons why. Or do a, a re, do another series of that There's a lot of reasons that that's not going to happen. Mostly because it'd be too expensive. The writers' union is real strong. Blah blah blah. Anyway, you don't have to know that. The only time we got together after the show was when the new show was on with Tom Parks and Annabelle Gerwich. The old cast came back as a guest group on that show, and that's the last time we ever got together to work together. Socially, we we whenever Mitchie's in town or Annie's around, we we see each other as often as we can. When Danny was alive, you know, we'd have lunch and blah blah blah. So, but as far as working, the new version of of not the news was the last time we all got together to work, as opposed with the exception of God rest his sweet soul, Danny's funeral when uh, Mitchie came in and everybody came and then we saw each other there. But that's it. It's not on HBO Max. So it's HBO the streaming, but there are some episodes on. YouTube. Yeah, there's a lot of actually there are a lot of uh, of clips and episodes on YouTube. Uh, sometimes I watch them just to remember what the hell's going on. Really? On really? Yeah. Really? Really? Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, I don't sit down and watch whole episodes, but you know, if I'm if I need a scene or something, if I want to grab a scene off the computer, you know, I'll look at some of my old stuff, and uh, and if not necessarily the news is on, I'll I'll look at a sketch or two. 
Is that so wrong, Jeff? Is that so wrong of me? No, I think it's great. I mean, it's like watching home movies, right? I mean, it's like you just... Yeah. Well, I, and also it, it, it reminds you of the past and, and a positive. Just speaking of looking at old stuff, I remember running into Pat Harrington, again, wonderful actor, at an audition. And he said to me, you know what I do before I walk into an audition? I look at my resume and remind myself, you know, what I've done and how successful I've been and how good I could be, you know, to boost yourself up. And sometimes looking at your old stuff, you say to yourself, you know, I wasn't bad. You know, if somebody called me for an audition or a job. I could do that. I'm okay. You got chops. I got chops. The interesting thing watching, a lot of it holds up. I was laughing just as much as I remember watching it the first time. And what struck me also is it was like somehow whoever wrote it, edited it, put it together. It's just funny. Like what I mean by that is like with Saturday Night Live in a five minute skit, it's not five minutes of funny. Like everything in a not necessarily the news segment really was either just helping it be about to be funny or was just funny. And then you cut away. Like there was no like extra. It was, it was great. That's very, that's very perceptive. You, you know, you're, you're absolutely, those Saturday Night Live sketches go on forever. Not the news. It was always, you know, brevity is the soul of wit, as somebody said. Yeah, they were short. The commercials were, were short. The sketches, for the most part, that you came in, bang, premise, bang, joke, bang, out. You know, that's what happened. One I caught of you. <laughs> Mr. T's Emporium, which was pretty funny. And uh, and honestly, what didn't it didn't feel like it, it felt like you could probably still do that today because it wasn't like you didn't cross any weird lines, uh, no. even though you were Mr. T. It was still appropriate. And it was just it was just so funny. I was like, uh, thanks. So, yeah, funny. we did. We you know, the thing about not the news is that we had the option of being on cable to do to curse, you know, to be off color, to do nudity. We never did that. You know, we never they never the writers, producers never opted for that way to go. It was always, except for the fact kids might not understand the political ramifications or the, or the, or the parodies. Or the, it was always, you know, kind of, kind of fa- if you want to say it, family oriented. I mean, it was family. Families could watch the show without parents going, oh, turn that off. You know, they, it, was, it was fun for the whole family. It was. It's good nature, just really funny. And it's like the, yeah, the way you, you I, I had forgotten like how funny it was like taking the real clips and dubbing them. And, and, and that's the- another thing. When we use real clips, real people, they never put words in the mouths of the real people. They always produce, perform the clips as written. They used to go, they used to look at ABC news feed. I mean, the unedited news feed and pull stuff off, which is why you get some very funny stuff. But they never put words in the mouths. I mean, the, if I interviewed Henry Kissinger, that's what Henry Kissinger was pl- was saying. And then they wrote around that to make that funny. So that was, you know, that was. I think it's admirable. I mean, it's easy to put words in people's mouth. I think that's, you know, that's cheap. It's easy. Well, right. The humor is is in making what they actually said, changing the context of that based on the question exactly. or something like that to make that funny. Exactly. That's One of my favorite it. sketches was uh, Henry Kissinger. They, they, he was talking about God, political something, but they made him look like he was pitching a script to a producer. I was a producer. And, you know, well, it's about this man who, kept, Henry, come on, Henry, you know, speed it up. I don't got to obey. I got to get X. You know, but they, they took exactly what you said. They built around what he actually said to make it funny. And then just to round this off is uh, I found an article, Screen Rant. Screen Rant. Screen Rants is an online a publication. 10 hilarious sketch comedies you'd probably forgotten about. And uh, it listed off, you. not necessarily the news was number one. Wow. But, this, but this is the list. This one I did write down the list, so you don't have to. Uh, uh, this is The State, Ben Stiller Show, 
The Day Today, Tracy Ullman Show, In Living Color, Mr. Show, Upright Citizens Brigade, The Chris Rock Show, and Viva Variety. I mean, to put you number one on that list, boom. That's that's oh, a yes. heck of a list. That's really good. You can't. You wouldn't want to send me that uh, article, would you? Yeah, of course. I'll, I'll send you my email. Well, you have my email. I have your email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're best friends, Stuart. We're uh, best friends. You're like, we're, we're, we're BBBs. <laughs> when we talk about dinosaurs... What do you get? What do you get recognized, or do people call you out for more, Earl Sinclair or Bob Charles? Well, before the pandemic, you know, probably if I was wandering around some city, it would be you know Bob Charles or the Disney stuff, the Raven stuff, the Xenon stuff, because kids, kids, you know, they remember that. Nowadays, it's dinosaurs. During the pandemic, and I'm not bragging because it's me, because it's the show, and they just happened to, to be able to get in touch with me. I was sent. Punko boxes, is that what they're called? Punko Funko boxes? I think so. You know, you know what they are. Mm-hmm. I was getting two to four requests for autographs, pictures or those boxes a day during the pandemic for weeks, a day. And it wasn't, like I said, it's not necessarily because of me, but the show having come out on Disney Plus became popular again. And people were, uh, were watching with their families as they were uh, quarantined and sequestered. So, uh, yeah, Dinosaurs is, uh, I actually was in a restaurant once and I'm talking, a noisy restaurant. And a guy came over to me and said, are you the voice of Earl Sinclair and Dinosaurs? I said, how the hell did you know that? He says, well, I'm a sound editor and I recognize voices. That's the only time that somebody said, oh, you're, you're Earl Sinclair. I thought that was funny. But yeah, Dinosaurs, although nobody's going to recognize me on the street because of Dinosaurs, but they do know the show. They send me information about that. Right. Disney Plus just just released it. What it was it like a, a year or so ago? Oh, at so least a year, yeah. It's, it's one of those shows. It was only on from 91 to 94. So, right. Only like four years, seasons. Right. Yeah. But, but it's like there's there's a million shows that were on for four seasons only or even a million shows yes. that were on for more than four seasons that nobody has any recollection of whatsoever. Yeah. But for some reason, yeah. dinosaurs. It just stayed in everyone's head. I mean, there's all the time I'll be like, not the mama. You know what I mean? It's like, right, right, that was right. a horrible Kevin Clash. But the, uh, <laughs> I apologize. When you were kind of starting to do this, like, did you recognize like, oh, this is a, kind of special. I know it was Jim Henson and all Henson Productions and all that kind of stuff, but. That's were, an interesting question. It's like to, to drop a name of the movie, Fail Attraction. We were doing Fail Attraction. Nobody was going to become the kind of the, the, the movie that it became. You know, you do your, you do the movie. Same thing with dinosaurs. We did dinosaurs. We knew it was it looked great. I mean, it was the most expensive half-hour television, maybe even to this day, that it was ever on television. And we used to, but to know that it was going to be as popular, no, no. I mean, not until guys used to say, you know, not to mama, and and you know, holy, I'm old. I mean, when that stuff started happening, you say, hey, Jesus, people are people are watching the show. You know, and mo- a lot of people talk about the ending, the last episode. That seems to be that seems to be a, a point that people mention when they're talking dinosaurs. You know what I'm talking about? I'm familiar. I'm prepared to have a it's whole the conversation the on, the, on the very last episode. You have a whole, you had who? You I'm did? ready to talk to you about it. Wax fruit. Of course you need a wax fruit for a factory. Wax fruit doesn't grow on trees, you know? You know a hell of a lot more than I do. I actually watched it a little bit ago, and I don't remember half the stuff you do. Yeah, but dinosaurs, it was, as I used to say, as I say all the time, it's a job that I loved having and was very hard to do because you're in a booth for, you know, six, eight hours doing these, uh, replacing the, the, the puppet movements, the mouth movements of the puppeteers. My puppeteer, my handsome puppeteer, was a little guy like this. He talked like this. He was uh, Max, uh, Mac uh, Wilson. So obviously they didn't want that. So they, they hired actors to, to replace that. 
but I got I got the job before we did the before you know they they produced it before they started production obviously. Did you when you do a voice it's voice acting? Did you still get to know the rest of the cast like uh, the late great Jessica Walter and Sally Struthers? Like were you guys there? Do you do like voices individually or how does that? No. Well, in the beginning, we used to sit around the table and read the script. We did that for two or three weeks. And then they realized we didn't really have to do that because everybody worked alone and you basically were relegated to what the puppeteers gave you and what the content of the script was. I run into Sally. Jessica and I became friends. The great Jessica Walters. She's she's she was the best. And uh, But as far as the other people, Sam McMurray, who played Roy in the show, he became a friend. We played golf all the time. To, to jump back, Tom, uh, the guy who replaced me in, uh, in Not Necessarily the News, we became friends. We played we golf buddies. But uh, no, we didn't We didn't hang out a lot. It was all individual. We always went to the booth alone uh, with our producer, Kim Rosenfeld. And, and we did the show that way. And that's the way we did it. And it was, uh, it was you know, lonely, intense, but it was funny. I mean, you're right. It was funny. People remembered it. It was it, again. The kids appreciated the, the the puppets and the funny voices, and the adults appreciated the the political, you know, satire. So it was all it was all swell. Did you know Dava Savell? Dava Savell. Oh Dava, yeah. Dava yeah, Savell. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I interviewed her. She said dinosaurs is one of her favorite things she ever did ever. Yeah, it, it's great. Actually, she she asked me to do, and I did a, a, a there was a plays. That they that they read at the Writers Guild, and I was. She asked me to do that, so I did that. So yeah, I mean, she was she's a very talented lady. Oh, absolutely. Uh, did she like? And she liked dinosaurs, right? As I recall, it was one of her favorite things, like the good. set, everything. Yeah. Good. Good. Very yeah, the set was set was amazing. The the interesting thing about the last episode, which I think there's other episodes like this, was the fact that you kind of covered some pretty deep things, and like science fiction. You know, where you people go, oh, well, well, you know, it's kind of glossed over. People don't get it that they're being spoken to and taught because they, oh, these are just dinosaurs, right? And global, you're talking about political, uh, right? Just warming. anything political, war, drug, sexuality. Yes. I mean, dinosaurs covered all those things, and this is a children's Everything. program, right? Everything. Everything, but they it was palatable to children because it wasn't overt and, uh, well, I'll just leave it in overt. I mean, so the kids could appreciate the, the, the puppets. Like I said, and the, and the adults can appreciate the, the parody. Right. And this is why Florida is going after Disney now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm <just> kidding. <laughs> uh, but the, so the interesting thing about the last episode, it is actually so dark. And mm -hmm. I, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, you know what this is? This is Don't Look Up. <laughs> ah, interesting. It was they like, stole it from us. They stole it from you. It's it's you know it's like a, a version of that kind of thing where it's like yeah it's an yeah it's an end of the world thing yeah and uh, I, I guess the the writers would say that they're lucky knowing that the show was ending so that they could write that episode. Lots of shows go out, and, but I think they ended it the way they wanted to end it, and it was kind of you know it, it's a strong word, but it's kind of controversial because there was some. I guess they got some letters from parents saying. How could you kill those dinosaurs in front of our children? How could you make me explain that the dinosaurs are gone and they love it? You know, I mean, and that's true. And yet it was a, a suitable, appropriate ending for that show about dinosaurs. Because if you look around, they ain't here no more. I thought it was it was so well done. It Everything that, every kind of lesson it was trying to teach was so on 
so spot on. Like to watch oh, that, like I'm surprised they don't show that to teach people why you don't destroy ecosystems, why you don't like that's how good that episode was. Like just to to kind of say like this is what happens when you disrupt nature and you know businesses do things for the, the wrong reasons. It was well, but like you said, it's all things. It's you know, it's vegetarianism, sexuality, uh, right. uh, sexual harassment. I mean, all those things were sort of lessons, but couched in a very funny, palatable way. Yeah, and the ending was, I, I, I love the ending. I, I thought it was very sweet and inevitable. Right. Now, I'm sorry if kids were upset about it. I really am. I mean, that's not the purpose of the show is to upset children. But, you know, I mean, the fact is that shows end, you know, and, and their people's favorite characters die or people's favorite characters are never on the TV again. And, and dinosaurs just ended their own way. Right. It'd be like if James Cameron changed the end of Titanic because he didn't want to upset people. <laughs> And we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, the boat's fine. The boat, everyone's fine. Well, you know, they used to do that in Shakespeare's time. They used to put happy endings on the tragedies. Hamlet lives and Lear lives and Romeo and Juliet run away happy. They used to, they used to rewrite them. Not dinosaurs. We stick with the truth. Those dinosaurs are dead. You want it real, come see dinosaurs. So a couple of things about, a <laughs> couple of things about dinosaurs is, um, I read Jim Belushi turned down your role. Oh, good. So if you ever see him, thank him. But because of that, we were treated to Curly Sue. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, that's okay, because Jim and Lucy and I shared a school, and he couldn't do a sketch once, and I took over for him and had a good time doing that sketch. So the hell with Jim Belushi. So boom. And then, uh, so this I read, Earl, your character, often sighs when he walks in a room, and this would allow the person in the costume to a chance to see where he was going. <laughs> yes, I, I heard that too. He opened the mouth and go... So we can see. And then the characters' names are Petroleum Corporations, Sinclair, yes. Hess, BP. So that's all funny. And then actually very little merchandise was made for the show, which is a miss. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Because baby, the baby would have been like, that was Baby Yoda before Baby Yoda, Baby Sinclair. Well, if, if they made a baby doll, I, I think that would have gone off the shelves, man. I think uh, that, that they, people love that baby. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I still love the baby. And then, yeah. and then a lot of guest voices. Sherman Hemsley was a regular, but I read Jason Alexander, Julie Louise Dreyfus, and Michael Richards all did a voice, but I did not see Jerry Seinfeld's name. So he had almost the whole cast. Right. Tim Curry was a big uh, repeating. Tim Peter Curry, Arnold. right. Peter, not Peter Onorati, uh, although he might have done a voice. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, actually, you know, to, 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 to list up the carpet, I said to the producers once, you know, I got a lot of really talented actor friends that would love to do voices. And they said, no, 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 we want celebrities, which was always strange to me because, either, you know, maybe you recognize the voice, maybe you didn't, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make it better. I mean, all those guys right. did a great job, but I just wanted to give my, my friends a, a, an opportunity to work. Very nice of you. It didn't work, but thank you. You just need more famous friends. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Interestingly, uh, Rick Moranis' uh, final live-action role. But also, interestingly enough, what I read was it's the first live-action direct-to-video movie. Yes. Yes. Uh, th that's, that's, the, that's the truth. Uh, Dean Cundey, who was Spielberg's, you know, cinematographer for years, directed it. It might have been one of his first directing jobs. And it was indeed the first made-for-video movie. Speaking about, and people recognize me from that, too. I mean, they, they mentioned that because uh, that seems to be a popular crowd pleaser. It was, it was again, cool. It was all green screen and blue screen and, uh, and special effects. And it was fine. And Rick was, Rick was great. I'd worked with him before in a movie called Big Bully. 
he's a, an admirable person. He gave up, his wife died uh, tragically much too young, and he gave up the business to be with his kids, to be a father to his kids. You can't fall to any of that. I mean, that's that's admirable. No, it's an amazing uh, story, what Rick Moranis did, walking away yeah. from everything for his family. Very admirable. Yeah. Very admirable. And he's a nice guy, man. We had Jag, Jags and laughing on that set uh, that uh, went on for a long time. Mila Kunis, one of her, that was one of her very first roles, was that movie? Yes, that's right. And then I did a series called Not Necessarily, uh, called Nick Frino, and she was on there too. I guess I worked with her twice. Does she remember me? Does she ever call? Does she send a card? I have an, I have an email into her, so I'll ask her. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you just tell her that uh, she should remember me. And then your daughter, pre-Nexium, I assume, was uh, Allison Mack. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, when I knew her, she was a sweetie. She and was then, adorable. I loved her on Smallville. She was, I used to. Yeah, she was great in Smallville. Yeah. I, and then things I, happened. Yeah, I was a big fan of hers, actually. Yeah, very, very sweet, wonderful little girl. Bug Hall was in that movie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't have time to write down to everybody. Well, <laughs> what the hell did you do last night? Did you get to sleep too early? <laughs> I got to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So tell me about working with Mel Brooks. Life stinks. Who? Mel Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> Mel, Bro- Mel, Mel Brooks, Brooks. That's one of my favorite lines from The Simpsons. Mel Brooks is Jewish? Yeah, that's an interesting story. Uh, again, how much time do we have? Three minutes? It was interesting. Uh, it's just too long a story to tell you. Okay. I just ran into Rudy, Rudy uh, DeLuca at a party. I got to that party through very wonderful, you know, wonderful uh, circumstances, which we'll talk about the next time we, we, we talk. And he said, hey, you want to come in on audition for a movie with Mel Brooks? I said, yes. So I did. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I don't think I even auditioned. I think I just went in the middle. I think he just gave the jobs to people he wanted to, like Jeff Tambor and a lot of the other actors. But yeah, he was, it was an incredibly difficult time because one, it was the hot, one of the hottest spells in Los Angeles. Two, he was the writer, the producer, the star. And uh, he had a lot on his plate, but he was always, you know, generous and, uh, and pleasant to work with. Uh, and as a matter of fact, because of that, he put me in another movie that the Brooks film did called The Vagrant, which probably not many people know about. It was a very interesting movie with uh, Bill Paxton, the late Bill Paxton. And then I worked with Mel again in, uh, in Mad About You. Uh, he was a guest star. I was a guest star in A Kingdom by the Sea. Very cool. Yeah, he, 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 was, he was great to me. He was a little rough with his friends. I mean, he, he, he hires his friends and he knows them very well. So, he, he, you know, he snips at them occasionally. But he was uh, terrific. That's awesome. That's, and then I, I'm looking at the time. I It's uh, we're at the end of well, our We're running time. out of time. Running out of time. We're running out of time. I, I open the whole day for you. I'm here till three o'clock. If you, if you want, if you got, I, I, we, got I, we haven't even touched on Mannequin 2. What? Oh my God. We'll do it next time. Which by the way, there is a 10 minute cut of Mannequin 2 where it's just you, just your scenes on YouTube. Really? Yeah. I will email I you that, that as well. Yeah. How was I? Did you like me? You were great. You had, the, you had a lot of funny lines. One of, one of them, I smell dust. That was a good one. That was a, that was really funny. Yeah. I wrote a lot of that stuff. I just got to tell you, brag a little bit. I wrote a lot of that stuff because the director, Stuart Raffle, you know, let me. So that, you know, I appreciate that. Uh, we, we'll talk about that later. It was a lot of fun because it was back in Philadelphia. That's my hometown. Oh, okay. It was kind of fun to be back. Well, that was fun. It's all right. So we'll, uh, we'll have to pick it up another time, but this was great. I can't thank you enough. Anytime, pal. It's such a pleasure talking to you. You are so prepared and pleasant to, to talk to. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> prepared and pleasant. Yeah, yes. prepared and pleasant. The, the two P's that you need to do as a podcast. I, I've, had some, I've had some good podcasts and I've had some real stinkos. So you're not one of the stinkos. You are <laughs> anti-stinko. <laughs> Q.
Keep talking. These are all the quotes now on my thing. Not Stinko. <laughs> Jeff Dworkin is anti-Stinko. <laughs> you can use that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thank pleasure, you. pal. Pleasure. Anytime. All right. How amazing was Stuart Pankin? I promised you classic. I delivered classic. There you go. Boom. Stuart Pankin. Definitely head over to YouTube and search out those not necessarily the news episodes. If you've never seen them, you're in for a treat. If you haven't seen them in a while, you're in for a treat. Also, Dinosaurs is on Disney+. Plus. Check out Stuart Pankin as Earl Sinclair. Boom. That whole series is streaming right now. Well, with the interview over, it can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at Hashtag Roundup. Download the free, always free Hashtag Roundup app at the Google Play Store or iTunes App Store. Receive a notification, tweet along with us, and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Classic Conversations. Fame and fortune await you. Follow us also on Twitter at Hashtag Roundup and play along every day. All right, today's hashtag is Hashtag Dino Competition Shows. From the Sneaky Fridays hashtag game hosted by Sneaky Varmint and Devlin Wilder. Hashtag dino competition shows the ultimate mashup of dinosaurs and competition television shows. Didn't think it existed? It exists. Here it is. Of course, inspired by Stuart Pankin's amazing show, Dinosaurs. All right, let's read some hashtag dino competition show tweets. The world is lava. America's next Triceratops model. The price is bite. Let's make a Dilophosaur. The screechy voice. (laughs) The weakest evolutionary link. You are the weakest evolutionary link. These are all examples of hashtag dino competition shows. Fear Raptor with your host, Joe Rogan. Who wants to marry a fossil? Dancing with the shooting stars. So you think you need hands. That's a T-Rex classic. Project Runaway, and our final hashtag dino competition shows tweet, the Bachelorosaurus, oh, there you go, hashtag dino competition shows, all retweeted at Jeff Dwoskin show on Twitter, go retweet them, show them some love, got your own, tweet it with hashtag dino competition shows, hashtag, tag us at Jeff Dwoskin show, I'll show you some Twitter love. All right, well, with the hashtag over and the interview over, it can only mean one thing. We've come to the end of another episode of Classic Conversations. Can't believe it. Episode 142 has come to an end. want to thank my special guest, Stuart Pankin. I want to thank my special call-in guest, Summer Moore. And of course, I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. I can't thank you enough. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. Also, why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. Thanks in advance for spreading the word, and we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations. Classic Conversations.